Please keep your arms and legs inside the ride at all times. Welcome to the Corey Connects Podcast. You are about to embark on a thrill ride of the ages. Corey Warfield went from living on the streets to hanging with the elites. This growth hacker, serial entrepreneur, mentor, and social media personality has taken connection to new heights. Hold on as we learn from globally recognized leaders who have used the power of connection in areas of innovation, upskilling, technology, leadership, and disruption. So hold on to your hats. It's about to get real. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Corey Connects podcast. I am delighted to have Debbie Fay on the show today. Those of you that have been listening to this show for some time will remember I had Matt Abrahams on, who's a fantastic professor at Stanford, who talks about public speaking and ways to get over the fears. And his and my talk landed with a lot of people. And one of the things that I have been asked by a lot of people is how that translates to this new world, right? Like it used to be, what do they say? Most people were more scared of getting on a stage to speak in front of a group of people than they were of almost anything, right? People would rather go through these terrible things and then experience that. But anymore, the stage is your laptop. It is your, your living room. And more and more of us are being tasked to talk to larger and larger groups. And it seems like that was really resonating with a lot of the people that tune into the show. And so I went out and I found the smartest, the most original person that I could think of in that space. And so Debbie is who I was able to bring to the masses. And Debbie, I'd love for you to just maybe introduce yourself to my audience and then take a deeper dive into kind of the why behind why. Like, why do you care to help people show up, be able to rock crowds, be able to deliver messages? Like, let's just get into the whole scoop. Awesome. Well, thanks for having me. I'm so excited to be here with you. I'm a presentations coach and consultant. And I started my business in 2006. It was a dream of mine for over a decade. And I had taught at a business school before that all the communications courses, including presentation skills. I helped my first husband's team prepare for their presentations to their biennial international conferences. So I had a lot of professional experience teaching public speaking and presentation skills and coaching people that way. I also, for seven years, was known at my children's elementary school as the talent show lady. And we started this talent show with, I think, 40 kids. And by the time my youngest graduated from that elementary school, it was 150 children and parents and teachers that were involved in this thing. It was, we used to do it at the high school, have it at the high school on their stage. And one of our parents, because I live in the New York City area, one of our parents who did the lighting for us lit the stage for Phantom of the Opera. That was his job. But he would take off the Friday night of our talent show to light the stage for these elementary school kids. And really, Corey, I have forever been involved in theater myself. I love being on stage, but equally, I have always loved getting other people on stage and seeing people successfully deliver their messages is an endless thrill. I've been at this in August. It'll be 15 years since I started my business. And I have to tell you, after my clients get off the stage or off the Zoom presentation, they will text me their success. And it is 
priceless. It is priceless. It is a thrill every single time. That's amazing. And I don't typically talk about this side of myself on the show, and it's not meant as a shameless plug, but recently I've started working with clients one-on-one as well. And the only reason that I mentioned that is I, I took a couple of years growing this six-figure following on LinkedIn, getting millions of views, and, and just helping as many people as I could. And people had always kind of been asking if I could help them with that. And, and I kind of used to just say I didn't have time. Well, as I got more, you know, I guess we could say better leadership or more focused. And, and I started to realize that we have as much time as we create a lot for ourselves. I have started to have more and more time on my hands. And I think it's also, I've learned how to, how to hire and stop trying to wear all the hats and that. But so suddenly I've, I've got time and people are asking me to help them. And, and so I, I started, right, kind of charging for it, getting some clients in. So I, the only reason I mentioned all of that is it's the same, I have to imagine, feeling having them come back and say that their company's getting acquired or they just hit 100,000 followers or like, you know, they almost have these tears of joy or at least the proverbial, like they're so happy. And it's, it's just because they, they listen to you and they trusted you and, and worked with you. So to, to know that feeling, I just wanted to share that with you. Um, and hopefully that translates you know, to the audience as well. But that's amazing. And I think you've worked with, with hundreds, if not thousands of people. What to the audience, because I really want to dive into this and make sure we have enough time. What are a couple of things that you think people are either doing wrong when it comes to presenting on Zoom or that if they just understood maybe a key tenant or two, that they might be able to to have even more enhanced or or just get results that they were hoping to by presenting over Zoom in these days where we can't go and try to be the next Tony Robbins in front of a thousand people in an auditorium? Well, it's a great question. First of all, one of the silver linings of the pandemic and Zoom is that where before, when you did go to the actual physical space, there was a limited number of people that could attend. Even if it were, you know, it was a hundred people, a couple hundred people, you were still limited by the physical space. With Zoom, what I've found is I'm speaking to groups that I, that maybe would have been 30 or 40 people in a particular group. And because they then send the invite out to other groups that are aligned with them, but not in their same physical space, we can have well over a hundred, hundreds of people on a Zoom. So you can still have a lot of people in your audience. They're just not touching, you know, you couldn't reach out and touch them. Things that I see people doing wrong in their Zoom presentations, I'll name three. Number one, you want to be sure you look your best on Zoom, which means you need to be well lit from the front. The more light on your face, the better. You need your camera to be elevated so that it's at eye level and you need to be looking at the camera while you're talking, not at the thumbnails of your audience. So, Corey, even though this is a podcast, you and I are on Zoom right now so we can see one another, but there's only two of us. Just assume for a minute that it was a typical situation where I was sharing my screen, I was sharing my PowerPoint slides. And so then I would see a column of the gallery on my right, which to you looks like my left. If I looked at those people thinking I was making eye contact with them, Corey can see right now, it looks like I'm looking over to my left and Corey's thinking, why in the world is she not looking at me? When I look at the light, it looks like I'm looking at you. So that's the first thing. That's the first thing people do wrong. The second thing is audiences on Zoom 
or, you know, Google Hangouts or whatever, WebEx, whatever you're using as a platform, those audiences have a million opportunities for distraction. Not just their phones, their stomachs can be growling and the kitchen is only a little walk away and they can take themselves off video or if they're not being seen, who cares? So it's not like pre-pandemic where you were in the room and you often couldn't escape. Your audience can easily escape and you may not even know they're gone. So what you cannot do is you can't have a really long introduction about yourself and your company and how you got it started and your org chart and the dots on the map, which P.S., your audience never cared about anyway. Because if you start with that, they're leaving. They're leaving. They can even look like they're there, but they're on their phones. So you can't have the, the big, long introduction about yourself. And you can't have, which I often see, is presenters have three introductions. So they have this first good introduction and you're thinking, okay, good, here we go. And then they have the next one and you're thinking, okay, and then the third one, and now you're ready to go get something to eat. So that's the second thing that people do wrong. And the third thing is, and I could talk about this for hours, which we don't have. If you have been using PowerPoint slides or keynote slides that are basically acting as your speaker notes because there are tons of text bullets and outline on the screen. And you could get away with it pre-COVID because if you were a dynamic speaker, an engaging speaker, most likely your audience would ignore the screen and just pay attention to you. When we're on a Zoom presentation and we are sharing our screen, we are in a small box and our screen has taken center stage. And because of that, you have to have slides that truly act as visual aids for your audience, not as speaker notes for you. Thank you for those. Those are all helpful. But like any good conversation, those got the wheels turning. So I want to, if I might be so bold, add a fourth one that I think is funny, but then I'm going to come back. I don't like to just postulate problems. So I think I've got a really great solution. You and I may have just changed the world on this episode. But here's something that I think people do wrong on Zoom right now. And I see it every day. And I have people in leadership at companies that I'm involved with doing this and some of the big time celebrities. And it's at the heart of it, it's okay. It's these fake backgrounds, oh. right? But so many people, it's so obvious. And when they move, half their body goes away or they turn their head and half of their heads or their ear just disappears. And it's like, nobody believes that you're in Hawaii anyhow, right? Nobody believes that your kitchen is an $18 million kitchen with a Van Gogh in it. And so it's kind of like, what are you hiding? Is your reality that terrible that you need to make it look like it's in Hawaii? And by the way, every time you turn your head, your eyes are, are missing off of your head. And so I see people do that so often. And you know, to the extent that I bought myself a green screen, right? Thinking I'll put the green screen and then I can have my logo or whatever behind me. Even so, these green screens aren't super effective. And so I think people can either try to make their background or the reality what they want to represent themselves and have a real background without blurry lines around their head. But here's the other thing that what you said made me think could be really cool. Imagine if someone could, could combine their PowerPoint presentation with these fake backgrounds. And imagine if they could have it on the sides of the slide where their head's in the middle and they could be changing with the click of a button like a keynote or a PowerPoint, their actual visual background. So their screen is still the big one in the center. Their face is still there, but the virtual background 
is at least relevant. And at least now they're getting all blurry and weirded out. It's like, well, at least there's a reason that they have this behind them rather than the fact that their kitchen might suck and they want to look like they're a master chef. But what are, what are your thoughts on some of that? Yeah, I could not agree with you more about these virtual backgrounds. And they're for every reason that you said. There are some that are super subtle. I've seen people have the ones that just look like you could be in an office. Listen, it freaked me out too when I thought, oh my gosh, I'm going to have to be presenting in my house because before COVID, I've coached people via Skype. Everybody used Skype. And from the beginning of my business, I was coaching people. It just turned out that I was coaching people all over the world, actually. So that was fantastic. But that's different because you're one-on-one and I could do it in my office and it just wasn't a big deal. Once you start presenting, it feels like a bigger deal. So I set a Zoom studio in my kitchen. We live in this 90-year-old English tutor and the working part of my kitchen is what the pantry used to be. You know, the walkthrough pantry. I don't know if you've ever been in a really old house. So it has counters. There's a countertop that faces the window and natural light is the best, is ideal if you can get it. So I prop my laptop up and it's on the kitchen counter, but then behind me is tile, just white tile, but still I put sort of a curtain over it. And then I just put a plant on one side and something else on the other, done, done, not a big deal. So what I would say is to your point, always better to use your natural surroundings And no one really cares what they are. They should be neat and not distracting, right? So my brother, I was telling you when we started this call, I have a brother who lives in Chicago and he's a UX guy, user experience professional, but he's also a sculptor, found object sculptor. And we have a lot of his sculpture in our house. And I love my brother's sculpture, which is why it's hanging everywhere in the house. Some of it is very large. I wouldn't have my Zoom studio with my brother's sculpture in the background because it would be distracting. People would be wondering what it was. And I don't want that. I want people paying attention to what I'm saying. So you want to think about that, right? You want it to be not distracting. But other than that, and oh, here's the other thing, Corey. You know, when you're presenting, you, you and I are just chatting right now. So we're both sitting. But when I'm presenting, I'm standing in That's my studio. One. I am not sitting for two reasons. Number one, when you sit, you lose half your energy. And number two, when you sit, it's much harder to speak from your diaphragm when you're sitting. It's so much easier to have bad posture, to do a million things that keep you from speaking from the most powerful point in your body. So You should always stand in a presentation and you should stand even remotely. Well, and I think that's a big takeaway. I think a lot of people don't think about that, but this is from a global leading expert, guys and girls. Sitting down reduces your energy level by half. So if you need to be in a position of power, if you need to have your brave heart moment, right? It's kind of like the same concept as power poses, but also, and I know we're on video, so it's easy to think that everybody listening to this can see us. But I know mo- mostly uh, people will be seeing this via audio or hearing this rather via audio. But so I'll try to kind of describe what I'm going to do. But for those that are listening that, that don't do this often, if you are sitting down, if you just take your back off, whatever you're sitting and try to sit up with perfect 90 degree posture, it does open the airwaves. It kind of gives that apparition. You're actually engaging muscles to stay that way. 
So it's, it's, it's putting more oxygen into your blood. It's giving you a little bit more energy, at least short term. So that's kind of a, if you have to sit down, if you're old like me, if your legs are just, you know, your knees are, are they're starting to act up. Uh, if you do need to sit down, at least don't get too comfortable, I think is, is another powerful takeaway. So Debbie, this has been fantastic. Do you have a couple other bullets that you wanted to go into as far as like, I know this is not a session working with you, but kind of in, in the short time allotment that we have, what are some other things you're telling people that need to start presenting on Zoom that, that they can might uh, potentially find more power if they implement? So along with not spending too long on your introduction, which by the way, these things I'm advocating are critical in a remote presentation because your audience has so many opportunities for distraction. However, if you put these things in motion now, when we get on the other side of the pandemic, and we will, and people are presenting in a hybrid way, I think which will be the next thing to happen. And eventually in person again, because there's nothing like being in person. All of these things I'm recommending will make you a better, more engaging, more compelling, more successful speaker. So things like only spending a very short time on your introduction is critical now and will bode well for you on the other side of the pandemic. Your audience is going to want to know more about you, but not until they like what you're talking about. Corey, when I heard your interview with Wendy, who I met before you, I loved the interview so much. And I loved the way you interviewed. And I loved the way you went in all these different directions. That after that interview, then I Googled you. I wanted to know more. That's the way we are as humans. So your audience is going to want to know more about you once they know if it's a pitch presentation, a persuasive presentation. They know that you've given them valuable information. They think that they might want to work with you. Yeah, then they want to know more, but not in the very beginning. Here's the other thing, Debbie, that I think we can really hammer out. And because I talk about this with people's about section on their LinkedIn profiles as well, is you want to get the right people to lean in and want to know more about you. But to those that, and, and a lot of people do it, you're speaking from experience, the people that tell you everything about them when they get started you just nailed it. You want people to want to know more about you. There's nothing more to know about you if you put right. it all out there. So some, sometimes just having that intrigue and giving people the room and the space to lean in is incredibly powerful. So I just wanted to call that out. And I know you've got a part two. I didn't mean to interrupt you, but oh, I, I just no. wanted to. Yeah, that's, that's a great, it's like networking. When you network, people who are shy and hate networking because it's awkward. The easiest way to network is to, even in a virtual networking environment, ask the other person about themselves. Let them talk. And then they'll ask you about yourself and then you can talk. It's a back and forth. So I, agree, I totally agree with what you're saying. And to that point about you don't want to give, tell them everything so they don't care. What they really care about, and it's not because they're selfish and it's not because they're sociopaths, but an audience really cares about themselves. And they are sitting there because they are hoping that you are going to give them information that is valuable to them, that they can use, that's going to help them, that's going to make their lives or their businesses or their families better, safer, smarter, help them do things faster, et cetera. 
if you can give them those things, yeah, they're going to want to know more about you. So the reason I want your introduction to be short is because I want you to get to the stuff that they care about as quickly as possible. And I know you and Matt talked about this as well. I could not agree more. In fact, it's one of my, the name of my company is Bespeak Presentation Solutions. And one of my Bespeakisms is turn your focus 180 degrees. When you are thinking about what you want your presentation to be, sit yourself in your audience's seat and ask yourself, okay, if I'm one of them, what am I worried about? What do I care about? What do I know? What do I not know? What do I need? What do I maybe think I need, but actually I may actually need something different. I bet that happens to you all the time with LinkedIn because people probably have ideas about what they need to do on LinkedIn that aren't necessarily correct. It's a consultative selling model, right? Same thing in a presentation. You really want to put yourself in your audience's seat, think about them and build your presentation that way. And then you're going to be sure that at least your content is focused on them and and they're going to be interested. Well, and and on the one hand, that's empathy, right? And it's being empathetic. On the other hand, what it is is something that I talk with all my clients about as well. And I'll just kind of very quickly walk you through this process. I've determined that every single person that's on LinkedIn is there to make money. They're either there to get a job, they're there to hire someone that can make them money, either as a recruiter or as, as a someone that's holding a quota or whatever it is. They're there to sell something, whether it's their coaching, their consulting, their book, right? Whether they're, so you're, they're selling themselves, they're selling a product, they're selling a service, but absolutely everyone that logs into LinkedIn is there to make money. A lot of us are there to help people also. A lot of us are there to be good people, share ideas. But another thing that no one on LinkedIn is looking for is advice. People aren't there to be taught something. You have to be really humble to know that you don't need something. So, so many people put out this content of just teaching, 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 and it's, it's landing on deaf ears. So I tell mm-hmm. people, you know, figure out who your archetype is, what they're on LinkedIn for, and lean into that. If they're, to, if they're there to sell widgets, put out content around widgets that are being sold, around people that should be buying widgets, right? Like it's there for some reason. Talk to them in their language. Let them come to you. And then when you get the right people in your profile, you tell them all about yourself. The section is literally called about. And so you and I are doing very similar things in different regards. So I just wanted to connect some of those dots for people because I think anyone listening to this, this is actionable and we can extrapolate this out. So for the sake of time, I want to move on to a question I ask all my guests. But before that, I want to, and I, I do want to say quickly, because I think we can go down a rabbit hole on this and let's not. But what do you think about Clubhouse right now? Because it's the non-video are you on Clubhouse? Or are you I'm familiar not. with it? Okay, so I'm that, familiar you, with it, but I'm not. I, I'm just starting. It's just entered my universe, to be honest. It's like being on a conference call. You're not always allowed to speak on, and it's it's weird. there's no no chat function yet. And there's no videos, but it is a different presenting modality. But perfect. That that made that a really short conversation. So then, what I care more about, Debbie, is. When I talk about connection, this being the Corey Connect Show, I always ask my guests what connection means to them because everyone has a different interpretation and a different definition. So, Debbie, what does connection mean to you? Wow, that's a powerful question. I think to me, connection is hearing the other and being heard. I think we all 
And I think we, because human beings are so ingenious, we found ways really quickly to still connect even during this time when we can't physically connect. And it's, it really is, it's, we want to be seen. We want to be heard. We want to feel that we're understood and that we understand the other. And it's critically important. And, it, and as I said, it's why it exists now and without very much passage of time, even when we all had to hunker down and, and stay physically away. It's funny that you ask that question because what I do is so wrapped up in helping others connect. You can have a message and if other people can't connect to it, then it's like if the tree falls in the forest and nobody hears it, did it really fall? If you have a message, but people can't connect to it, then that's not a successful message. So well, I, love that. I hope I, that answers it. It did. I think that was one of my favorite answers so far, because, you know, I do this show to connect with people and to connect my audience to people and ideas. But I'm also doing this as really seeking out what connection really means. And, and more than that, what connection really is. And so I'm kind of coming up with my own hybrid definition as I go. And, and I never thought about it in, in these simplistic terms before. But the imagery and the word associated with it that came into my head when you gave your description or definition was intersection. Mm -hmm. And, you know, thinking about two concepts, two minds, whatever it might be, where they intersect is the connection. And that might be the most rudimentary kind of foundational way. And, you know, hearing and being heard. I think it was these ands. If I could visualize the words that you said visually, the and is in capital. It's like, yeah, it is this, but it's also that. It is this, but also, and to me, that's the intersection. So that was profound. Debbie, before I, before I let you go, I do want to have you just talk to the audience a bit about what you do professionally and how they can find you. I know you wrote an amazing book that I'm waiting on. It went to my office that I haven't been to in some time, but uh, when I get it, I'm excited because I know it's truly a resource and you use it kind of as a leaf behind with clients and stuff like that. So whatever it is that you want to just kind of mention, there are people listening to this that are excited to work with you and, and that have been looking for someone just like you. So let's just maybe let them know a couple ways that they can get in touch with you and what working with you looks like. Of course. Thank you. So the name of my book is Nail It, which was funny because you mentioned in speaking, you said, I think you really nailed it. That's the name of my book. Uh, Nail It, Create and Deliver Presentations that Connect, Compel, Connect, Compel and convince. That's that's amazing. And that's available on Amazon and Barnes and Noble and all the online bookstores. And it, there's a Kindle version. So I work with people in three ways. I do one-on-one -on -one coaching with clients who are about to, in the near future, give a presentation. And we work together to build that presentation. If there are going to be visuals, PowerPoint, slides involved, I typically create those. And uh, we work on the outline together on the content. We work on the visuals together. I'm typically the creator. And then we have what I call a stumble through because the first time isn't even a walkthrough. You end up stopping and starting so many times. And once it is ready, they go on and give it to great success. I also work as a presentations consultant where People uh, send me their presentations and I evaluate them, edit them. Again, we collaborate. 
And then they go on to give those. And I also do small group training with groups of really no more than eight or 10, where we learn all aspects of successful presentations, which there's a learning part of it. And then there's a doing part of it where this small group then gives a presentation, each person that we have structured feedback around and they're videoed, which is way easier on Zoom. And, and they they have that. So those are the way I, ways I work with clients. I will also say that since last March, I've been giving often two signature presentations. One is how to nail the remote presentation. And the other is how to nail the remote interview because an interview is a presentation about you to one or a small group of people. And people can reach me on LinkedIn or they can reach me, go to my website, bespeakpresentations.com. Google me, Debbie Fay, F-A-Y. There's no E at the end. And I'll come up all over the place. I'm on Twitter. My handle is bespeak. I think on LinkedIn, I am be heard, be speak, be heard. And I'm also on Facebook, be speak. Isn't it amazing how we can uh, kind of all become ubiquitous now using social media and the internet? Well, Debbie, I am so glad to have had this connection with you. I look forward to catching up with you soon as well. I want to thank everyone for tuning into the Corey Connects podcast today with Debbie Faye. And I wish everyone just a fantastic rest of their day, evening, month, year, everything, all the good stuff to everyone. So Debbie, thank you so much. Enjoy the snow in New York and I'll catch you on the other side. Thanks, Corey. Thanks so much for having me. Bye. Bye all.